0: A message to you about presence and glory, and, I, and I'll get into that a little bit more. I was talking to them this morning. How many of you were here you, Wednesday night? I know there weren't many of you that are in the room, but a handful of you were here. If you remember, we talked about you know, what it really means to praise God, what it really means to worship God and, and, and the presence of God. And at one point, you had about 75 people just shouting hallelujah at the top of their lungs. And uh, one guy, Freddie, an older gentleman, he said, buddy, I'm going to tell you what. He said, when we all shouted hallelujah, that was about the closest I've ever come to the, my, my, the rushing mighty wind flowing in the house. And there's something, I know, I know not everybody gets it. I'm going to press into something this morning. So if I, if I shake a little bit of some religious spirits this morning, you're just going to have to buckle up. Amen. Uh, so, because there's something that happens when the people of God understand worship there's something that happens when the people of God understand what it means to praise God and to get interactive and I believe that even preaching is an act of worship and it's an act of worship on the part of the congregation whenever they brought, brought forth a word of the Lord see the amens began because they believed that the congregation needed to participate with the word that was going forth so it was something that basically you're saying when you say amen or you engage with a preacher you're essentially saying I'm right here with you I'm preaching this word with you, and I'm saying so be it in the lives of the people that are listening. That being said, we want to talk about the presence and the glory of God, and I want to begin in Exodus 32 this morning, and I want to talk about Moses because I think he reveals his life reveals something to us about God's presence and what he wants to do in our life. If you remember, God brought Moses out of Egypt. And he brings him out of Egypt, and he's in the wilderness on the backside of the desert, and God manifests himself in a burning bush, and he sees the presence of God in a burning bush. He takes off his sandals. He encounters the holiness of the Lord, and God sends him back into Egypt at 80 years old with a message, and he goes up to Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, here's what the Lord says, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. And our entire lives... A key thing that you find in the book of Exodus that represents what's going on in our own lives is that we come from a place of enslavement to the demonic powers, to this world system. And what God wants to do is put the enemy on notice that the blood of the lamb that can be applied to our lives will set us free to bring us out into a place where we worship God. And you know very well, according to that story, that Pharaoh resisted this, and Pharaoh will resist worship, Satan will resist worship at all costs in your life. The one thing he doesn't want you to do is to come into true praise and true glory and true honor of who God is and to offer your body in such a way where you become a worshiper of the one true and living God. But here's what I want you to understand about Moses is sometimes God will say things and he's not necessarily wanting it done, but he wants to test your heart. And Moses goes up on the mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets. And while he's up there, the people of God are down at the bottom of the mountain and they've already said, well, Moses has been gone too long, God ain't here. We've got to have something to worship, just like most people do. Everybody's looking for something to worship. And so they form a golden calf and they begin to worship the golden calf. And here is what God says to Moses in Exodus 32, verse 9. He says, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. And they are a stiff-necked people. Amen. You sure hope the Lord ain't saying that about you, right? My neck, it's a little... Anyway. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. That sounds good. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out? To kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Now if I just read that, my first reading is like, okay, it seems to me that Moses is more merciful than God. Is that possible? No, I don't believe that it is possible. I don't think that any human being could ever be more loving or more merciful than God. And we do understand that, hey, God is a holy God and in the old covenant, the sacrifice and the penalty of sin had not been paid for yet. So God sometimes had to reveal His holiness in dealing with sin because He's a holy God. But at the same time, what I think is happening here is God is testing the heart of Moses because He's looking for a man that can actually lead His people with a pure heart. So He says, Moses, you know what? These people have sinned and I and I'm going to go down, and I'm going to destroy them. He said, but don't worry about it. I'll make you a great nation. Now, if that had been me, I'd be like, hey, that sounds good, Lord. Let's kill them out. We'll start a great nation. We'll call the nation Clay, and it'll be a great nation. And so that's appealing. He's testing his heart. Something's going on here with Moses. But what does Moses do? He takes the the position of a type of Christ and he stands in the gap on behalf of the people and he says, Lord, do not destroy them. He says, if you blot their name out, blot my name out too. He said, just wipe me out if you're going to wipe them out. And God says, here's a man that I can trust to lead my people. Here's a man that's willing to stand in the gap on behalf of the people. And he's testing his heart. Now, he pushes a little bit further because I believe God is still testing his heart in Exodus 32. He goes on and he ends up saying in Exodus 33, God basically says, okay, Moses. He says, I won't wipe them out. But here's the thing. If they're going to keep sinning like this because they're a stiff-necked people, he said, my anger's going to burn hot and I ain't going to be able to deal with it. He said, I'm not going to go with you, but I will send my angel with you into the promised land. And Moses is dealing with this, and I think he's wrestling with that, this. And the scripture says that he goes into the tent of, of, of meeting. And they've got a tent basically set up where the glory of God, the presence of God would come down, and they would all fall in their face and worship. And it says that Moses would go into this tent, and he would speak face to face with God as a man speaks with his friend, and he would have communion with God and in that place of communion sometimes the the glory of God and the manifest presence of God would come upon him so strongly that he would actually have to put a veil over his face so that the people wouldn't see the glory of God and die in that presence it says that Joshua was so hungry for the presence that he would stay behind in the presence of God after Moses had left and this is one of the reasons he actually becomes second in command is because he was a man of God's presence so Moses is wrestling with this and he's like I just don't think this is a good deal lord you send in the angel and they get in this conversation and 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 here's what we need to understand at the end of the day this the same thing that we're dealing with is are we a people of the program or are we a people of the presence because in churches today, I've even went to a lot of church conferences. And the one thing that they're trying to teach churches and everybody, like you've got to have good programs in place. You've got to have good structure. You've got to have good order. And listen, good structure and good order and programs are all good. And we can produce one of the best services where you say, man, what, what, what musicians, what singers. Man, the worship is amazing. The preaching, oh, it's phenomenal. But if you don't have the presence of God, you've got nothing. And see, so all of a sudden, y'all y'all are feeling me this morning. All right. So so we have to we have to ask ourselves, are we a people of the program or are we a people of the presence? Because God is actually looking for a people who love his presence more than his presence. Amen. And that's a big point. Because he says, Moses, I'll make you a great nation. I'm taking you into a promised land. And he ends up talking about this. And and, and Moses basically is saying, Lord, here's the thing. I would rather have your presence in the wilderness than an angel in the promised land. What he's saying is, God, I don't care if you give me a new job, a new car, a new wife, and she's real good looking. I don't care if you build me a big house and you take care of all my kids. And we get all of the things that we ask you for. If I don't have your presence with all that, I don't want it. I would rather have none of those things if it weakens my fire and my passion for your presence. See, but we come to God a lot of time for presence with a T, don't we? Rather than presence with a C. And he's saying the greatest gift you can ever get from God is Him alone, His presence. And so they get into this conversation in Exodus 33, verse 12. It says, Moses said to the Lord, Look, Lord, you've been telling me to lead this people, but you have not let me know whom you'll send with me. And you've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, see, because they're working through these things. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And here is the verse, my friends. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, then don't send us up from here. Lord, I don't want to be a part of a church or a movement or I don't want to go and move to any place in my life. If your presence does not go with me, then I do not want to go. I'd rather stay in the wilderness where we're struggling and have your presence than go to where we have it made and you not be there. This is so essential for our lives because one thing that we need to... And I know some of y'all are saying, I don't even know what the presence of God is. Well, we're going to open that up as as we get into Scripture here. But he ends up saying, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and know you by name. And then Moses said, Now show me your glory. Moses just keeps pushing in. It's not enough. He says, God, all right, thank you that your presence is going. He said, but I don't know you like I need to know you. I want more of your presence, God. Would you unveil who you are and show me your nature, your character, who you are, your salvation your healing your power i want to know who you are god show me your glory Amen. he's hungry for the presence of god he's hungry for the glory of god and he ends up saying well he ends up getting specific instructions to build the tabernacle so that the presence of god can dwell throughout the book of exodus he comes to the end of exodus and he's built a tabernacle perfectly by the lord's instructions and then once they build that tabernacle it says, and the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle and Moses couldn't even stand to minister because the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle and it said that basically they had a portable tabernacle so that there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that represented the glory and the presence of God over Israel and they gathered around that and if it would move they would move, they'd they'd, they'd take up their tent and they would move with the presence of God because you and I are called to move with the presence of God in that same way. Now in Numbers 10, verse 35 and 36, sometimes when that that fire would begin to move, when the presence of God would begin to move, it says, "...whenever the ark set out, Moses said, "'Rise up, Lord, may your enemies be scattered.'" May your foes flee before you. And whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. And one of the things that he's saying here is there's a moment where, where they're gathered around the presence of God. Now, I get this, I understand this. A lot of times in church, you know what we gather around? We gather around music, we gather around some good singers, but then other t- but, and then we gather around preaching. Music, singing, preaching are all modes of of what God wants to do in our worship. But ultimately, in all of those things, we don't gather around a preacher. We don't gather around a bunch of musicians. We gather around the presence of the Lord. And this has to be essential in what we're doing when we show up because we don't want just a good church service and a fine production so people can leave and say, wow, that was an amazing service. No, we want an encounter with a living God. Anybody that experienced Look. Here's the thing. You can say Clay's a good preacher and they got a good worship team and leave totally unchanged. But when you come in here and I can mess up preaching and I can say some dumb stuff and the worship goes bad and the sound goes out, but if the glory of God shows up, you'll leave a different person. And that's so essential to what we understand as the church of Jesus Christ. And he said there's a point where we worship, we gather around it, but then when the presence goes out, we believe that it's going to go out before us and it is going to defeat our enemies. It's going to destroy our enemies. David says the same thing that Moses says in Psalm 68, 1 through 2. Notice what he says. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate Him flee before Him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Now, he's not talking about, hey, let wicked people perish at the presence of God. He's talking about the powers of darkness, the wickedness that binds us. When you come into the presence of God, the presence of God begins to destroy the enemies in your life. He goes before you to destroy fear and anxiety and bondage to sin and addiction and all of the darkness that holds us. All of a sudden, the presence of God pushes that back and it melts like wax before the fire of God's presence. He said, let God arise. Let His enemies be scattered. In our choice to worship, like this morning, right there about that third song, I don't know if you realize it or not, but there, there was something happening. We were beginning to let God arise. Let God arise and let His enemies be scattered. And so... In our choice to worship, we're actually responding to what Scripture says. The prescription God gives us to worship Him so that God can begin to arise in our lives and begin to move in a way that only He can. Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes we come into church and rather than lifting God up, we lift the devil up. We lift our circumstances up. In our mind, we come in so shackled that we feel bad and we don't even understand how to enter into the presence of God. We don't understand how to bring a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. I tell, I tell some people, Paul Bolins here with me, we do, we do a Bible release time. They ain't nobody praises God that I've ever seen like the Paces Creek Bears down there. I'm telling you. You've you got any people with kids down there at Paces Creek? Man, they come in here and they sing to the Lord with all of their might. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden joy comes into the room. There's something that happens when the people of God praise God. I know some of y'all, are we're too adult, we're dignified. We'll get into that here a little bit later. I'm going to try to ease you into it. See, David said something though in Psalm 34 3, and this was at a point in his life when he was being hunted down by a man that wanted to kill him. He's in a cave running from Saul and the people of Israel that want him murdered, and he gets a bunch of guys who are rejected, outcast, broken down. They're in a cave hiding, and here's what he says. Look, I will bless the Lord at all times, and His praise shall be continually in my mouth. All times. Then he says this in Psalm 34:3: Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together now i don't know listen the lord's already big i don't know that we can make him any bigger but david had this realization that there's a place in praise and worship where you see your circumstances and you see the demonic and you see your struggles and you can lift god up above that and all of a sudden when you begin to magnify god the things that you're dealing with and the demonic powers begin to bow and become small so he says let us magnify the lord together somebody might say well man the presence of god what are you even talking about clay god's everywhere he is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. And I would say absolutely. One, one level of the presence of God is that He's everywhere. There is no, no place that is hidden from God's side. He said, where can I go that I can get away from God's presence? There's nowhere. I could, if, I, if I go to Sheol, if I go to lower parts of the earth, if I, make my, if I go to heaven, there's nowhere I can go that the Lord is not... But then there's a different level of the manifestation of God's presence, and that's the indwelling presence of God. Because through Christ, as believers in Christ, guess what? The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in the life of a believer, and the Holy Spirit indwells them. But get this, He takes it a step further, and Jesus says in Matthew 18, where two or three believers are gathered together in My name, there I am in their midst. So when we gather in Jesus' name, he's like, okay, they're gathering in my name. I think I'm going to start to walk the aisles. I'm going to move in their midst. But then there's another level and a dimension because in Psalm 22, it says that when we offer praise to God, he inhabits the praises of his people. And we have Old Testament precedent for this because when they would come together in worship and praise and shouting and singing songs unto the Lord and saying, "Uh, uh, holy is God and all of these things, what would happen? The glory of God would fill the tabernacle. There's a manifested presence of God. And somebody said, Well, I just don't know if I believe that. I just don't know if you can get away from the presence of, you, if you, you know, if there's a manifest presence of God like that. And, well, one, it's throughout Scripture. But two, in Genesis 3, pay attention. It says that when they sinned against God, the voice of the Lord was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard this communing God coming to talk with them. And you know what they did? It says they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Jonah. He received a word from the Lord, and it says he went, and he went down to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. You can be in this building and be running from the presence of God. You can be in this building and be hiding from the presence of God. You can be dealing with a religious stronghold, spiritual stronghold, shame, shame. And all kinds of things that keeps you from truly praising God. And in your mind it's not clicked that this is about intimacy between you and God. And what you've come to do is watch a church service. Amen. See, He's giving us invitation into greater levels of His manifest presence. And in the heart of every believer, there should be an aching and a longing, I want more of God. I want more of God's presence. I want more of His reality in my life. I remember remember whenever I first started reading the Bible, all I wanted was more of God. I wasn't really going to church at the time but I was because I was, I was battling all kinds of addictions I didn't have things figured out but I remember reading in scripture about worshiping God and I, I read about prayer and fasting so I start putting these things into practice and I remember the first time I really put any of these things into practice and, and I went outside into a field me all bound up in addiction and I started to lift my hands to God and I started to sing praise to God and I started to worship God in an open field when nobody was looking and God is my witness something started to break on the inside of me something started to change on the inside of me because for the first time in my life it was about me and god and i was giving him worship and i was giving him praise even when nobody else was looking see so something was going on and and i can tell you this the experiences that i've had i've been to church services where where, where you go in and you it just you know it's so quiet you you could you hear a mouse spit on a cotton ball you know what i'm talking about and uh and, and and then there's just there's nothing going on. It's it's dry as they say as cracker juice. I don't know if you've ever had any cracker juice, but it'll dry you out. And uh, so there. But 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 the, on the other hand, I can tell you moments. Even I can remember specific moments when I walked into different church services, and I come in the back of the room, and by the time I had gotten there, they were worshiping God. And everybody was worshiping God freely, singing. And when I, I, I came in with burdens, anxieties, being rushed. And all of a sudden, when I walked in the back of the room, see, here's the thing. It says that in the temple, there was a glory of God. And it's the, the glory of God in rabbinic literature, the Hebrew word is Shekinah. How many of you ever heard that word Shekinah glory? Like, if you come from a Pentecostal church, you're like, oh, hallelujah, I know about that Shekinah. Uh, you know. But, but the Shekinah is the weightiness of God's presence. There's a weight to it. And, it and, and, and when it shows up, there's conviction. Like when God's Shekinah weighty glory shows up, it's nearly impossible for you to not respond to it you'll either have to run out of it or you'll have to respond and bow and kneel in adoration as tears flow from your face. And I can tell you this, because of hunger and not hunger, you can have God hit two or three people in the service and not touch anybody else in the room because two or three got hungry and the rest of them don't have any. And so God is saying, I want you to come into a place where you're hungry for this presence because God comes where He is wanted. God comes where He's wanted. Too many people are spectators and not participators in worship. Somebody said, I know it's easy to say, yeah, but Cleo, I worship in my daily life. Do you really? Worship's not about the song. It's not about Sunday. Yeah, it's not, but it also is. It's about all of it. What do you offer God when you come Sunday? What do you offer God when you're going to work on Monday? What do you offer God in your bedroom at night? What are you offering? God? What are you bringing to God? God is looking for an army and not an audience. And I think what the scary thing is, is in modern churches, what we're actually creating is audiences rather than armies. We create a production in which it looks good and we got the songs and we got the set and we got a program for your kids and we got all that. But all you come and do on Sunday is actually watch a service rather than to engage in worship to be filled with the power of God so that you can minister to somebody yourself as God flows through you and you can leave these doors filled with the Spirit of God to share the gospel with somebody outside these walls. Your, your Christian walk cannot be relegated down to just simply coming to a church service to watch it. He wants you to be a part of the army so that you can get engaged with His presence. And that's what worship is about. See, now in the Old Testament, they were the congregation, or Acts calls them the church in the wilderness. And if you put that first image up for me, they, uh, if you look at it, see maybe you can see this, maybe you can't. They, they, they camped around the presence of God. One time in Scripture... They had 12 tribes camping around the tabernacle. And in the most holy place, that's where the presence of God dwelt. Only really the high priest could go in there once a year. And, and so that's where the presence of God dwelt. Now, at one time, a guy named Balak sent a guy named Balaam. If you, if you, I know we have baby dedications. If you've not named your baby yet, great names. <laughs> Balak and Balaam. But they looked down and he says, I want you to curse Israel. And when he's on the mountain and he looks down... Here's what he sees. He sees the presence of God and the people of God tented around the presence of God and it's in the shape of a cross basically signifying that what happens is, is we gather around the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And at the center of that reality is the presence of God in our lives and that is what we're called to come and tent around. Now, in Psalm 100... David has this revelation about God's presence and entering into it. and that Because, that, you know, there was a high priest that could only go in once a year. Do you know that in the New Testament you have all become priests unto God? You have a priestly duty. You have a priestly responsibility. Ain't nobody else can come in here and offer up worship on your behalf. You've got to do it as a priest unto God. Offering up sacrifices of praise. Psalm 100, here's what David says. He said, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. How many of you ever shouted to the Lord? Yeah. I mean, honestly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> then it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. You know, sometimes you come in here, I got kids' church. Bless God. You know, what I'm <laughs> serve the Lord with gladness. Notice this come before his presence with singing. I know it's good to listen to some good singers, and I can't sing worth a dime. But some, when, I, when I, I know that singing activates the presence of God in my life. So I'm gonna let, when, when Shauna's up here singing, I'm going to try to hit the high note with her, son. Like I, I'm getting after it. You know what I'm saying? I can go there. I can, if I'm going to come into his presence with singing, I'm going to let Shauna tell you, ah, you, know I'm going up. Praise the Lord. And then he says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. So we, we really minister to the Lord. And our first, our first ministry is not to people. Our first ministry as Christians is to the Lord. It's for, we minister to the Lord and out of that we are filled with the glory of His presence through the Spirit. And then we are free to let that flow through to others. So if you look at this next picture... Of the tabernacle, so they had this gate around the outside. So this first curtain here, they actually called that the gate. And so David had a revelation, and he's saying, "You come into his presence with singing." He said, and, and so they would come up to the gate singing, uh, psalms and hymns to the Lord. And they come up to the gate, and when they come into the gate, they would offer thanks. He's he's saying, he's saying, when you're bringing your sacrifice, it's not blood and bulls and goats that he's looking for. He wants a thankful heart, and then you start to enter into the presence. Then you come into the outer courts, and as you're moving deeper into the presence of God, he says, these are where you would offer sacrifices. And he said, what God wants is not a goat. What He wants is a sacrifice of praise. And so you start by thanking God and saying, God, I thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for how you've blessed my family, for how you saved me and brought me out of the pit. And then, and then you start to step into His gates and then all of a sudden you're in His course and you start to see the nature of God, His healing, His salvation, His deliverance, what He's capable of doing in this moment. And you start to praise the Lord and it becomes more than just a song that you're singing with the rest of the people. It becomes something about glorifying His name and then all of a sudden you enter into a place of Of worship in the Holy of Holies. Because you've ushered yourself into the presence of God. And I think it's a rare thing, honestly, that we actually go into the presence of God. Because most of us, we don't necessarily enter in through Thanksgiving. We never make it past the gates. You come in here, I'm here to judge this church this morning. To see if it's a good one. Anybody, amen me, I don't know. Somebody said, I'm not coming back after that. Uh, Anyway. So we minister to the Lord in three ways. Now notice this. This is interesting because when we talk about praise, people will say, well, what is praise? Let me, give me an understanding. If you read the the book of Psalms, the word praise is actually seven different words translated to one English word praise. Now here are these seven different words. Halal is, is, is a Hebrew word. It means to be clear, to shine, to celebrate and rejoice in the Lord. So for example... Halal is like like y'all ever y'all ever been watching a UK game with a bunch of people or something like that and they hit a game winning shot, and uh-huh. like everybody goes nuts. That is, that is my friends. That is halal. I promise you that's what it is. And here's the thing, Satan understands worship better than we do. Because if you look at the concerts that most of our children are going to nowadays, they are going and offering sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise, and they're offering their bodies. They dance before it, and they invoke unclean spirits. Somebody said, Amen. you got to understand the spiritual realm. You gotta, it's happening every single day of our life. They are actually counterfeiting what God wants to do in the church to give Him praise, to give Him glory, to give Him honor. Yadah, somebody said, well, I just don't like really raising my hands in church. Well, Yadah literally means praise, to raise and extend the hands to God. If you look at the word Yadah, it's yud in the Hebrew. Their word pictures, it's the hand that opens the door to the grace of God. That's why when we, lift, that's why when we say lift our hands, don't get angry. We are just wanting you to open the door to the grace of God we just want you to come into God's presence. Todah is a sacrifice of thanksgiving with your mouth. It, it, it doesn't mean that when I pray thanksgiving, you can just sit quietly. It means you open your mouth and you say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. Shabbat. Somebody say Shabbat. Hallelujah, right? Shabbat's another one of them Pentecostal terms. You know, that? You, make, you make a shout to the Lord. Hallelujah. You lift up your voice to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Barak means to kneel before the Lord and bless God, which is why sometimes we believe it's important to have an altar open where people can come and kneel because it is, it is an expression of praise and worship. And you say, well, I just don't feel like I need to do that in order to have a relationship with God. And what I'm telling you is, is you don't have to do that to have a relationship with God. It's just you need to do that if you want a better relationship with with God and there was some religious spirits right then that said no I still don't agree with that Clay well you know what maybe we'll break it off by then we're done here zamar to play musical instruments to the Lord and tehillah to sing praise to God from your spirit now let me just say this I get it that y'all a lot of y'all you come from different backgrounds where nobody budged and in church it was like you were rewarded for how quiet you could be and all that stuff I, I I was raised Catholic son and we went through a certain detailed motion but when I finally got a relationship with Jesus Christ I didn't have to learn it in church I learned it from scripture and I realized that God wanted my body offered as a Living sacrifice because worship see romans 12:1, paul says i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship now you hear about a sacrifice of thanksgiving and you hear about a sacrifice of praise but you never hear about a sacrifice of worship because in worship you are the sacrifice I offer him a sacrifice of thanksgiving even when I don't feel like it. I offer him a sacrifice of praise even when I'm at my worst. But then I enter into the presence of God and all of a sudden God's glory comes down and I recognize that I'm having a divine encounter with the one who created me and there's a holy fear and a holy love there all at once and there's a divine exchange as I offer my body to him and say, Lord, you can have it all. Everything is yours. And we seek moments like that in the presence of God, and we need to choose to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise even when it's not convenient regardless of how we feel. When I come in here, sometimes I've got a million things going on in my mind, but I know that what God is asking me to do is set all that aside and lift my hands and worship Him and open my mouth and praise Him. And every single time that I do it, something shifts in my heart. Something changes. If I'm having a bad day or a bad week and I'm all tore up in my mind, I'm telling you what, I can turn on some worship music and begin to lift my hands to the Lord and sing to Him and thank Him. And you know what happens? The glory of God begins to come into my heart. And the presence of God shifts my attitude and things start to break off. We've got to become daily worshipers of the one true God. Somebody said, you know, and here's the thing. There's a spirit behind all forms of music. I believe that. What you listen to sort of shapes your attitude if you'll pay attention to it. And so on a daily basis, I would encourage you, like, in your daily time, learn to worship God. Like I tell you sometimes, I'm not saying all all other music is bad every now and then. I let the lead out. Y'all know that. I play a little Led Zeppelin. But every time I do, you know what I long for again? The presence of God. And I've never listened to Led Zeppelin and felt the glory of God. (laughs) So there's a difference there. So here's the thing. God's looking for worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. In the Ark of the Covenant, understand this. Let's put this Ark of the Covenant up. So if you went into the gates... They had the outer court. They would offer a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. They would cleanse their hands at the bronze laver. They would go into the holy place and there would be the table of showbread representing the Word of God and the presence of God. There'd be the candle, candlesticks representing the Holy Spirit. And then there would be the altar of incense representing the prayers of the saints. And then they'd come through the veil and in the most holy place there would be this Ark of the Covenant and this is where the glory and presence of God dwelt. And one man could go in there once a year to offer a sacrifice to go into the presence of God so that the presence of God would remain for Israel. And in the Ark of the Covenant were three items. In the Ark of the Covenant, they had the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. They had Aaron's rod that budded. And they had a pot of manna that they, where God provided for them in the wilderness. So if you remember specifically, God guides them by giving them the law, the Ten Commandments. What happened when He gave them the law? As soon as He gave them the law, they were down at the bottom of the mountain worshiping a golden calf. I already broke it. You remember Moses? Moses comes down, breaks the tablets. This is after he said, Lord, don't destroy them. But he said, well, don't worry about it, Lord. I'll get on them. He breaks the commandments. It grinds up the golden calf, puts it in water, and makes them drink Like drink that. You want to worship a false god? I'm going to make you drink it. I'm thinking, that's good leadership. Amen. It's like. <laughs> so it represents God. our rebellion against the commandments of God. Then Aaron's rod that budded. God puts Moses and Aaron in charge, and the people say, we don't want to follow them. They're not good leaders. And God says, no, 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 you don't, get to, you don't understand. I put leaders in place whether you like it or not. This is how it's going to work. And so he brings their rods together and he says, the one that buds is the leadership that I've chosen. And Aaron's rod budded. But see, they rejected God's leadership. They rejected his guidance. It was their sin against God's provision for them. And then the manna. They're hungry in the wilderness. God rains food down from heaven for them. They get ungrateful and say... Psh. We don't want this worthless bread, and they reject God's provision. It represents all of our sinfulness placed in the Ark of the Covenant, which represents Christ Himself, the presence of the living God. Why? Because when Christ shows up in Himself, He took our rebellion, He took our sinfulness, He took our rejection of God's provision in Himself and died on the cross. Now get this, when He took that sin on the cross, He said it's finished, and that veil going into the Holy of Holies was torn they would apply a sevenfold sprinkling of blood on the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant where the two cherubim were in order for the the, the presence of god to meet them at the at at the mercy seat And what Jesus is saying is I've provided a sevenfold sprinkling of blood, a perfect sacrifice, and now everyone can enter into the presence of God if they're willing to enter into it because the veil has been torn. My blood has been the ultimate sacrifice. That means if you come in here with strongholds and addictions and hang-ups and bad attitudes, you can still give God praise and God will show up and begin to manifest His presence in your life. And guess what you say? But I've not not changed my life yet. The presence of God is what changes your life. Life. it was in my addiction when i started to worship god and the presence of god started to break that stuff off of my life you keep coming into the presence no matter your struggles because the blood of jesus has paid away for you to be in this place it is finished so solomon's temple i want to stop and talk about this just for a second because if you remember they had the tabernacle David couldn't build a temple, but Solomon ends up building a temple to house the presence of God. It's a beautiful temple, man. It's ornate. It's got all of these wonderful things in it. And and I think, you know, the, the queen of Sheba comes to the temple of Solomon and it says her breath was taken away from her at the beauty that she saw. And I think that when people come into the house of God among true believers and they see the worship of God and the presence of God, it should take their breath away. I think that when God's glory is manifested, it will take their breath away. But see, Solomon's temple and the tabernacle of Moses actually shows us how to worship. Because number one, worship requires a sacrifice. You could not come to the tabernacle or the temple without a sacrifice. You couldn't just come up nonchalantly to the gates without a sacrifice. They wouldn't let you in unless you had a sacrifice to offer to God. And this is about our devotion to the Lord. Will it cost us anything? Secondly, worship requires our best. They had to bring a lamb that was without spot and without blemish. They had to bring the first fruits. Now, we need to teach our kids this because I think what we do is we teach our kids to give their very best at school, give their very best to a sports team, give their very best to a hobby, give their very best to a career, give their very best to their education, and give God His leftovers. And what I'm telling you is bring God into all of those things, but tell them firstfruits. They have got to bring their very best to God. Everything else they do in life is an overflow of the best that they give to God. Thirdly, worship requires our generosity because worship reflects what we do with our time, with our energy, with our relationships, with what we speak, with our talents, with our treasures. Solomon dedicated the temple. He offered 144,000 sacrifices. How many of y'all offered this morning? You know, (laughs) 144,000 is a lot. Take a day or two. Anyway, David shows up one time to offer a sacrifice. And this guy says, don't worry about it. I'll cover the cost. 2 Samuel 24, 24. David says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. See, God's looking for the heart. I won't bring something to the Lord if it don't cost me. I need to offer a sacrifice that costs me something. It costs me my voice. It costs me my, my, my dignity. It costs me my time, my money. It costs me something to bring this sacrifice to the Lord. And when we offer God a sacrifice that is honorable to Him, every time they offered a, a good sacrifice in the Old Covenant, what would happen? The fire of God would fall on it. And I think sometimes the fire of God doesn't fall in the church because we're not offering a sacrifice. Amen. The default setting in worship is passivity. You ever notice that? Like it's just like, oh, I'm going to church Sunday. Hallelujah. Uh, maybe if they get me going, I may move. I may budge. I don't know. And we feel this default tendency toward passivity. And what I'm telling you is that when you come into the house of God among people or even in your private devotion with the Lord, you have to say to your soul, praise the Lord. Right? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. David got to a point where he didn't feel like it. He started talking to his soul. He said, soul, you better get it together because we're in here to praise the Lord because we believe that we can pull heaven down with our praises. I'm just one of those old school believers that you can worship God till He shows up. You can begin to praise God. And if He doesn't show, then you just keep praising. When I go to my secret place with God, I don't go through three songs and then a word and then read a certain amount of Scripture. I sit there before the Lord until He shows up and does something to my heart. And this is what kind of worship that He's looking for. See, lastly, this is my last point. We talked about the tabernacle of Moses. We talked about the temple of Solomon. But before the temple of Solomon was built, David had a tent. And the tabernacle in the temple showed us how, but the tent showed us the heart. Now, the tent was simple. But I want to ask you this. Your preferences, like, do you prefer a big, nice, ornate building? I mean, with the whole nine. I mean, maybe they even got gold toilets or something. You know, I, I don't know. Like something just amazing. They got coffee shops, bookstores. Like they got everything in the house of God that you could possibly have. But there's no presence there. Or do you prefer a little podunk meeting in a building where they ain't even got it finished on the inside, but then when they start to play and worship the God, that God, they've got pure, sincere hearts and the glory of God manifests? I prefer the latter. I've told the Lord so many times, I said, Lord, I know you've called me to pastor, but listen to me, my friend. I said, I never want to pastor a church that's not hungry for the presence of God. I, I, want, I Help me to lead people into a place where they long and they hunger for your presence so that we can have what you have to offer. So the, like I said, the tabernacle in the temple showed us how, but the, 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 the tent of David showed us the heart. And if you look at the Ark of the Covenant, what we were just talking about, the Ark of the Covenant that was in the Holy of Holies, it represented the presence of God. During that time... Of of David and even in, in the time of first and second Samuel. They didn't have a temple built yet. They no longer had the tabernacle of Moses. And so during that time, they just simply had the Ark of the Covenant housed in a little tent somewhere where they would worship and the presence of God would dwell. Well, during that time of Samuel, one time they were fighting the Philistines and the Philistines said, man, I know where the power is. It's right there where the presence is. We got to take that Ark of the Covenant. So they take the Ark of the Covenant and they steal it and get this. They put it in the temple of Dagon, which was their false fish god. And the next night, or, uh, that night, the morning after, they come back and they look into the temple of Dagon. And Dagon, the fish god, has fallen on his face beside the Ark of the Covenant. They say, this ain't right. We've got to help our God out here. Lift this God back up. Y'all right, Dagon, fish god, good God. Stand up there. They go back. Next day they come back. Next day... Dagon has fallen on his face in the presence of God beside the Ark of the Covenant. His head is broken off and his arms are broken off. Because whatever false gods you serve, whatever demonic bondage you have, when you come into the presence of God, it begins to sever the head of those bondages. It begins to sever the head of those idols and the arms of those idols to break it off. We are people, I'm telling you, one of the reasons I got set free is because I had a revelation of the presence of God in these different dynamics and what God wanted to do in my life. And so David realized this, and he said, Boys, we have get the, we've got to get the presence of God back. We've got to get the ark back to Jerusalem. We've got to do it. So they set out. They got an ox. They got a cart. They go get the ark of the covenant, put it on it. They're taking it back into Jerusalem. And this guy named Uzzah, which is another great name if you're dedicating a baby, if you ain't ba- name your baby, your name, yeah, Uzzah. Amen. He reaches out, touches the ark, dies. David gets upset. He's like, man, what in the world's going on here? Here's the thing. The presence of God is holy. We can't just simply come into the presence of God nonchalant. And because we are sinful people, we don't have access to the presence of God unless we come through the blood of Jesus. And because of the blood of Jesus, we can now come into the presence of God without fear of dealing with His holiness in a way that will bring destruction to us. But at that particular time, that sacrifice had not yet been paid and they needed to understand the holiness of God. And so, they end up saying, boys, we're scared, we can't touch it. They set it off in a guy's yard named Obed-Edom. Another great name. I mean, they just keep coming this morning. They set it off in his yard, and over the course of three months... He's so blessed, man, like his crops are growing, he's getting more money, he's getting increased, his family is blessed, his children are are, are just doing so well, there's a peace on their life, and they're like, man, this is amazing, this Ark of the Covenant, this presence of God is the stuff. And David's like, boys, we got to get that back. We've got to get it back. So he goes out to Obed-Edom's house, puts it back up on the cart this time, but he says, we got to do it the right way this time, and it says every sixth step they would stop while they were taking the ark every sixth step representing the number of man the number of flesh the number of pride and he said they would make a sacrifice on that seventh step and it was representative of that perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we can't do anything on our own and throughout our days and throughout our, our weeks we have got to come and alter ourselves before the God, before God offer him a sacrifice of our lives and say Lord we can't do it without you we need your presence we need your glory and so So they did that and they offered a sacrifice every seven steps and they come into jerusalem and get this david is so happy that the presence of god is returning to jerusalem son he starts to dance before the lord with all of his might and he starts to praise god and his wife is looking up at him and she she despises him in that moment you know why because the spirit of religion will always despise extravagant worship I know some of you even while you preach you're just like I just don't know about that and sometimes and I, you know here's the thing there is a big difference between just flesh worship and somebody getting crazy and it being distracting and it pulling away from the glory of God yeah we, we're not looking for that I'm talking about pure from our heart worship where we bring everything we have to God and we give Him glory and He inhabits those praises see she re- despised that true worship where He danced before the Lord with all of His might and He said woman let me tell you something I can get even more undignified than this because there's one thing I care about and it's not your approval, it's the presence of God. I don't, look, you can think what you want to about me, you can say man that Clay is a crazy guy I don't know about what he believes, I don't care what you think about me, I care about the presence of God. I want his presence in my life and if he says lift my hands, I'm going to lift my hands. If he says give him a shout and say hallelujah, I'm going to give a shout and say hallelujah. I'm going to give him what he wants because I want his presence in my life. It's vital that in worship we take a step of sacrifice beyond convenience. So he sets up this Ark of the Covenant back into the tent. Now get this. He realizes how important it is to have this worship. So he sets up 24 hours a day, 7 days a week worship in that tent of meeting, in that little tabernacle. And they're worshiping. And he has 4 worship leaders, 24 choirs, 12 people each, 288 people in the choir and they have an official recorder so get this when you read most of the psalms in scripture what you have are those men entering into the tent to worship god around the ark of the covenant and they are moved by the presence of god and the spirit of god and they begin to sing from their heart and somebody writes down what they're singing and they would write down psalm 22 about the messiah himself and he'd say you know what the lord inhabits or enthrones himself on the praises of Israel. That's Psalms 22, 3. And in Acts 15, 15 through 18, they start to realize that, hey, Gentiles are getting saved, things are changing, and here's what the prophets say about it. He says, and with this, the words of the prophets agree in Acts 15, And he's saying, there's a prophecy about the tent of David that was fallen. And do you, do you know this, that in the last 30 or 40 years, there's actually been a global movement where in certain churches and in certain places, they have 24-hour a day, 7-day-a-week worship before God. And that's what's happened over the last 30 or 40 years because there was a prophecy that said, hey, something's going to change. People are going to start to worship God in a new way, and it's going to cause those who don't know God on the outside to begin to seek His face. I think when we come into an understanding of God's presence and our responsibility and our duty to praise and worship God, we're going to see more people get saved. I mean, just this morning, I felt like there were people that came up for prayer after and you could just see the Lord moving on people. And after there was that worship, man, it's like there's an an invitation from the Spirit. Like an invitation, there's something greater here. There's something more here at work. Would you step into the greater dimensions of my presence and my glory? David understood it. Psalm 27, 5, he said, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. He said, there's something that happens when I, I don't feel that great I'm having a bad day, but I offer a sacrifice of joy to the Lord. And then I realize that God sets me up on high upon a rock above my enemies when I sing praises to Him. In Psalm 141 too, he had another revelation about worship. He said it's not about the ritual or the practice or the tabernacle or the temple. He said, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. He said, God doesn't really want the evening sacrifice of blood. I'll give you the lifting of my hands and Lord let it be the same. He, said, he, 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 goes, he says right there, let my prayer. It's not about the incense, it's about my prayer coming before you as incense. This is why we believe, like, we leave the altar open. Like, one thing we don't believe, I'm going to tell you this, y'all ain't going to like it. Like, at the end of service, when I get done preaching, we should respond. Amen. Amen. What we should not do is yawn and think about tacos. (laughs) I get it. I like tacos too, but you know what I love more than tacos? God and his presence, and his glory, and him doing something in my heart. And so what he says is, yes, you hear the word, but will you offer a sacrifice? Yeah. Come on. You hear the word, but will you give me your heart? You, I, I don't want your yawn. If that's the best, you can bring the Lord. You know what I'm saying? I, I say it all the time. I'm a, I, somebody feels like, man, I feel attacked this morning. <laughs> but we'll we get done with preaching a sermon. You, everybody stand up. Like, oh. I'm like, the Lord, the Lord will receive that. Just add a little bit more on to it. <laughs> Amen. In the Old Testament, they alt- offered sacrifices on the altar. And you know, this is a representative. I know you may come from churches where they don't have altars. People don't go to the altar. But here's the thing. There's something about a response. This is why we say, hey, this altar's open. You want to come? come forward and stand up here at the altar and offer yourself, sa- Well, it just looks like I'm showing. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Who cares what anybody else thinks? Well, maybe they'll think I'm in some kind of horrific sin if I bow down at the altar. Who cares what they think? I care what God thinks. I want Him to do something in my heart. And the altar is a place where we offer a sacrifice to God. And you better believe that He responds to what you bring Him. He responds to what you bring Him. And so it's not just religious rituals. Somebody said, well, I don't don't feel like you have to do all that stuff, Clay, to have a relationship with God. No, you don't have to do it to have a relationship with God. You just need to do it to have a greater relationship with God. He wants more. Psalm 40, David said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me, and He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. This is what He's done in my life. And He gave me a firm place to stand. And He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. There was nobody on this planet that was more introverted than me that I know of before I got saved. I mean, I hated public speaking, hated being in front of people. When I went to church and they praised God, I thought, man, that feels weird. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be out in front of people. But the Holy Spirit said, no, son, you've got to come. Press into this. Give me everything. And you know what? He set me free, and I was so filled with the joy of God. I remember when I first got saved, I went to a church service, and the presence of God showed up so strongly that I went and knelt at the altar, and I began to cry in the presence of God. And then, and then everybody left. Matter of fact, the pastor turned the lights out. And I laid in an aisle while he sat out in the, in the front. I laid in an aisle and cried for over an hour. Because the presence of God, he was, was doing something in my life. Somebody said, and here's the thing, I wasn't just mustering it up. I'm not asking you to lay and cry just for the sake of laying and crying. I'm just saying we can press into the presence of God. And he can do something. And it says many will see it. And they'll fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So the question is, are you tenting the presence of God in your life? Or are you simply going to the temple, checking the box? Church Sunday, get the kids up, let's go. How many of y'all did that this morning? Don't raise your hand. Are you tenting the presence of God on a daily basis? Or are you just going to the temple in a religious ritual? And here's what he's saying, your first ministry is to God You can can come into the presence of God. We can be so filled with the Spirit during the week because we're worshiping God at home that when we come here together corporately, that when we worship God, God can be so manifest that He just does His work, y'all. He convicts people of sin. He brings people to salvation. The gospel goes forth and the harvest is reaped. People that are, people, there was one guy that came up this morning and just battling illness, and man, and he, he said, you know what? God, I, I, I heard that word, Barak. I know I've been battling illness. I felt like I needed to go forward and kneel before the Lord. And we, start, we started praying, and God revealed some things, and we're praying through that. But what is it? It was his response to the presence of God dealing with his heart. That never happens if you don't respond. Psalm 51, my last one. Verse 16, it says, For you do not desire sacrifice. David had a revelation. It's not about the blood of bulls and goats or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. David said, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. One thing. One thing I desire of the Lord. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple people of the presence. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. Can you just begin? You close your eyes. Maybe even just offer that to Him. He said, you know what? I'm going to bring my prayer to you as incense. I'm going to lift my hands as the evening sacrifice. Can you do that right now? Can you bring your prayer to Him as incense and just lift your hands up to Him as evening sacrifice? I know some of you, you don't feel comfortable with that and God's not God loves you regardless. But He's inviting you into that place of deeper worship, deeper communion with Him, a deeper measure of His presence. And there's something that happens when we're just willing to step into that. So Lord, we just thank You. We thank You right now for Your goodness to us. We thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for Your presence. And Holy Spirit, what we're asking, we want to be a people of Your presence. We want to be filled with Your Spirit, God, and we want to know, just like David did, what it means to give You the praise and the honor and the glory that You deserve. We want to know what it means to worship You, God, in spirit and in truth. To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto You, which is our spiritual worship. So today, God, we bring You our hearts, we bring You our minds, we bring You our bodies, and we give you all of the worship and the glory and the honor that you deserve. And we ask you, God, that you would respond with your presence and with your glory and that you would change us into the very image of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask that you have your way in each heart and in each mind this morning, God, and do what only you can do because you love each one more than they could ever know. And all you want is a relationship, Jesus. You're not asking them for praise and worship because you're egotistical, but because you know how they are designed and God, you want to live in them. So I'm praying this morning, break every religious stronghold and chain. God, break every bondage of addiction and fear and anxiety. And Lord, let your Spirit move in your holy temple. Your people. It's not a building, God. It's your people. So feel this house. Fill the house of your people, God, and dwell in our midst. God, we give you glory. We give you honor this morning in Jesus' name. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to continue to respond to the Lord. We're going to have a baby dedication here in a minute, but let's sing one song together and let's worship God. If you want to come around this altar and worship, if you want to bow at a knee right here and give the Lord the blessing and the honor that He deserves, He can. You want to stay at your feet and worship, that's fine, but let's respond to the Lord. Let's just give Him the thanks and the praise that He deserves. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, God, for what you're doing as people respond. Thank you for your spirit and your presence that's here.